It's nice to see you this evening and very glad to be with you again this evening. We appreciate your prayers. I know many of you have been praying for us and God has been very good to us and kind and we rejoice in all that he is doing and all that he is to us. So it's lovely to be here. We're going to redeem the the minutes and we're going to read just now from the beginning of this wonderful book, the book of Job. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to turn to Job chapter 1, read a few verses from there, and also from chapter 2. Job chapter 1, and commencing to read at verse 6. Job chapter 1, and verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And then chapter 2 and verse 1. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. 
and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. And he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God, and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to our hearts. Shall we pray again together? Our Father, we are so privileged this night to have thy word in our hands and for many of us in our hearts, so much of it, and in our minds. And if it was not for this wonderful truth and reality, Lord, we would have no concept of things that we have been reading about. We would have less understanding than we have. And we confess and acknowledge before Thee, Lord, that what we do understand is very limited. Even with the privilege of having Thy Word, there are realms and forces and machinations that we know nothing about. And yet, Lord, Thou hast given to us sufficient today, and through Thyself, Lord Jesus, and by Thy divine indwelling Spirit, Thou hast given us sufficient to lift us to a level of life and living, and communion with God, and fellowship with the divine that lifts us up above the world and sin and with heart made pure and garments white, and Jesus Christ enthroned within. And we thank you this evening for the cross work of our blessed Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord, beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. We thank you, Lord, this evening, this glorious cross towering over the wrecks of time, All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. O my Savior, my Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to Thee. We pray for Thy wisdom and guidance. We pray for Thy divine presence and help, and that Thou, Lord, will be glorified. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name, keep Thy holy hand upon us. For Thy dear name's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we've been getting into the uh, life of Job a little bit on the first evening. For those of you who were not able to be with us, I shared with you about Job, the perfect man and his beginnings. A little bit about his background, where he grew up. Uh, Well, maybe not so much where he grew up, but where he certainly lived in the land of Uz or Edom, or as we more properly know it now as Jordan uh, there. And then last week we shared uh, more definitely about Job, the perfect man, and God. And thank God tonight for the glorious privilege of walking this earth in communion with the living God. What a realm of fellowship, what a divine inheritance and blessing that is, that we creatures of a day, dust and ashes, 
and people flying as a spirit, as John Wesley said, from eternity or through this life to eternity. I am a spirit come from God, returning to God. But thank God today that we have this glorious living God. And we've dealt with those two, and some of you I know have followed it on Facebook. And thank you so much to Sharon uh, for doing that and putting it there so that people can benefit from it. But tonight we're going to look for a little while, with the Lord's help, at Job the perfect man and Satan. Because it is a very real factor in all of the storyline of this book and this man's life. And we have read it tonight, and we have read about these two very unusual and interesting and arresting encounters uh, whenever Satan came to present himself along with the angels of God. It seems that from the original that they were called as by God like a, a, a summons to appear in the presence of God. And it does say, and Satan came with them. Whether he was invited or not doesn't actually say. But it seems quite interesting to the narrative that with all the hosts that would appear in the presence of God at the invitation of the Lord, that he would be so audacious as to present himself in the presence of God as well. But that's what we read, and that's what I believe. And of course, the title is uh, indicative of who he is and what he is going to do and how he is going to operate within relationship to Job at this time in Job's life. He is called Satan. And the word Satan is the adversary, the accuser, the slanderer. There are many titles and names that are given to him in the Bible, but in this context, that's what he is. And you, of course, can see that being borne out in the reading that I shared with you. But as a result of his influence and all that we see happening to Job, I think it is very important that we spend some little time thinking about this matter. Now, we have the advantage of having the narrative in the book, here at the beginning of this book of Job, we have the advantage of knowing what was going on. Job, as I've said already, did not really know what was happening. He didn't understand it. He may have had some inkling, as you read the book carefully, that there was some other mysterious um, power that was working and operating somewhere in the shadows. But by and large, he didn't really know. And the greatest test that he experienced was to go through what he went through and not know exactly why it was happening. Neither did he know how high the stakes were. Because God had his man, he knew him, and he allowed him to pass through this test, believing that Job would uh, stand true, that God would be vindicated, that victory would come out, not only for Job, but victory would be on the Lord's side. The stakes were definitely high. And as we have read the story and read that passage, chapter 1, chapter 2, let's just get right into, into the, the message this evening. As these messengers or angels, as they are known in the original, as they presented themselves in the presence of God, here they are, you see the picture in your mind's eye, and then there's one that's different. 
one that is selected out, that God addresses, picks him out and presents and challenges him and, and speaks to him. And the three things I want to share with you tonight. First of all, the reality of Satan, the hostility of Satan, and the sovereignty of God. So that's the line that we're going to try to follow. Out. The reality of Satan. The Bible doesn't really set out any lengthy argument or any reasonings relating to the reality of Satan. But the fact is presented and the issue is an established issue. There are many who deny him, many who say, no, Satan doesn't exist, it's a figment of the imagination, it's something that we read about in the Bible, but it's not really a reality, there is no such person. I know that I'm in a congregation tonight that I don't need to take any time to uh, reason with you or to persuade you or to convince you that there is a personal devil. Dr. Joseph Parker was a very well-known preacher in London, and uh, there was a man who was going to be speaking and sharing uh, a peculiar and um, popular lecture on Satan. And he invited Dr. Parker to come. Uh, Parker refused and responded by saying, Satan, I don't need to go to a lecture to hear more about him. I know to about him already. And those of us who have walked with the Lord, who have lived in the arena of evangelistic ministry, who have sought to please God, we all are fully aware that we have an adversary. We have an enemy, a very real enemy. The closest we get in the Bible as to how he became what he became is found in Isaiah chapter 14 and also in Ezekiel 28. Now, primarily the passages there refer to the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And then the prince of Tyre in Ezekiel 28. But when we read the passage, we see that it brings far more into the equation than just two ordinary human beings that lived in history. There is much more to it whenever we read the passages in those two chapters. But the reality is this. God never made a devil, and God never made a sinner. But both are realities. And it was by the abuse of free will or a moral freedom, a freedom to choose. And Lucifer, the shining one, the son of the morning, the choir master of heaven, chose to abuse that freedom and that liberty to choose and became what we know as the prince of darkness, the slanderer, the dragon, the adversary, the devil, the one who is out as a roaring lion on one hand and an angel of light at other times on the other hand, working constantly and with him many those dark spirits who are all over the earth working constantly on his behalf. I'm glad tonight that that's not the end of the story because the Apostle Paul speaks about it so much 
And right from Genesis 3, right through to Revelation 21, the Bible records a conflict between Satan and God, between sin and righteousness, between light and darkness. And thank God tonight, whenever things seemed most dark, there comes a glorious picture, a glorious light into the whole situation because God does not leave his stricken creation and comes to the scene and addresses the enemy through the serpent and speaks and says, the seed of the woman will bruise your head, you will bruise his heel. And in that Proto-Evangelium, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God immediately steps into the scene and gives us a shaft of light and hope that there is going to be a conqueror and Satan is not going to be the victor. Hallelujah. I'm glad this evening that we have a Savior who is manifest to destroy the works of the devil who spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. What a glorious victory there is at the cross of Jesus Christ. What a battle on Mount Golgotha. But what a victory tonight that through death he took power and destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil, and delivered those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Thank God tonight that when we come to the last book, when the judgment days are set, before that happened, John the divine says, I saw the Lord. I was in the Spirit. And what did the Lord say? I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys. I have the keys of death and of hell. I hold them now. I rule over these, re over these realms. Thank God tonight. Let's announce that tonight. Jesus is the victor. He is the victor. Years ago when Mr. McCormick uh, the, the veterinary surgeon used to be involved in ministry. We were involved in ministry one day dealing with someone who was uh, possessed by evil spirits. And we came to a point where Brother McCormick addressed one dominant spirit and said to him, you were there at Calvary, weren't you? Acknowledge it in the name of Jesus. And he acknowledged that it was so that he'd been there. And he said, you know who the victor is. I command you in the name of Jesus to confess who the victor is. And the Spirit said, the white lamb of Calvary. The white lamb of Calvary. What a profound statement. What a beautiful thought tonight that we love the white lamb of Calvary. <laughs> we love the victor tonight. We love him who triumphed over sin, over death, and over Satan. And whilst he is real tonight, we are not under his heel. He is real, 
And I put here in my note, if he isn't, then this book of Job is a pretense. It is a farce. And if he is not real, there would be no Bible as we know it. If he isn't real, the whole Job record before us is a gross reflection on the character of God. Not only the reality of Satan, and when I was thinking about this, you know, I I thought about Charles Wesley's uh, wonderful hymn many, many years ago when I was a very much younger Christian. I remember the late Mr. Frank Marshall, who was an evangelist and was a founder of the Irish Evangelistic Band. He actually was the very first man that I came under deep conviction of sin when I was a boy of 13 in an evangelistic mission between Oma and Newton Stewart. But Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, and I remember Mr. Marshall quoting it, and it came to me this week when I was preparing for this service here. And here is what it says in the first verse. Angels are march opposed, who still in strength excel, our secrets sworn eternal foes, countless invisible. With rage that never ends, their hellish arts they try, legions of dire malicious fiends, and spirits enthroned on high. But the third verse goes on to say this, Jesus' tremendous name puts all our foes to flight, Jesus the meek, the angry lamb, a lion is in fight. By all hell's host withstood, we all hell's host o'erthrow, and conquering them through Jesus' blood, we still to conquer go. Praise the Lord for such a wonderful hymn. The hostility of Satan is another little concept that I want to leave with you. God said to him, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And of course, we have to believe that he did. He knew quite a bit about Job. In fact, he was able to answer right away a lot about Job. And uh, God said to him in, in those words, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Uh, the tense and sense of the word is, Hast thou placed thy heart on my servant Job? Hast thou viewed his conduct with, an, with attention? Have you been looking at him carefully? Was the question that the Lord put to him. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him, a perfect and an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil? My question is, If God presented you and me as an exhibit before Satan, how would we stand? Have you considered my servant Job? This is the kind of man he is. But Satan didn't rebut that. He didn't say, that's not true. Job's not a perfect man. He didn't say Job's not an upright man. He accused Job. He slandered Job. But he could lay no charge against Job. Praise God for that. Job was the man that I believe had come to the point in his life when God believed that Job could undergo a test 
and would come out the other end victorious. The entire confrontation came at God's initiative, not at Satan's. God made the challenge. He now considered Job was ready for a test like this. And you know, as I thought about that, God always has taken the initiative against the forces of darkness. He took the initiative in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. He took the initiative in allowing our Savior, in fact, more than allowing, in fact, driving our blessed Savior. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness, it says in the Gospels. He was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness, and this time the perfect man was none other than the Son of God. And the encounter in the wilderness, the Lord Jesus took the initiative and was there and was tempted of Satan. Calvary was also established and executed at God's initiative because Christ was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And there the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, as I've said already, spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, and was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. And God has never played second fiddle to Satan. He's always on the throne. He's always ahead. He knows. The enemy knows a lot. But he's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. And thank God tonight, when we're on God's side, we're on the side not only that is the winning side, but the side that has already won. And praise God tonight, when Job was presented for the test, he would hold steady and emerge victoriously. But Satan did challenge God, and he said, put forth thine hand now. It's very interesting that in verse 6 of chapter 2, the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in thy hand. Satan said, put forth thine hand. God said, he's in thy hand. In fact, he gave Satan more than he asked for. God said, Satan said, Satan said, verse 4, verse 5, God said, verse 6, and God wouldn't touch his servant, but he permitted Satan to do it. There may be times, friends, whenever you and I feel that we are under some great attack or some very difficult situation or something that happens that puts us through a real test. Maybe we feel we've been attacked. Maybe we've been slandered. Maybe you've been slandered. It's not very nice when you get slandered. It's not very nice when you're attacked. But anybody that allows their tongue to slander is under the control of another spirit. God is not a slanderer. The Spirit of God is not a slandering spirit. And especially against the servants of God. When someone is out to destroy you, 
they're being motivated by another spirit. But when they're out to protect you and pray for you and build you up, and we're not flawless, we're not flawless, we don't always please everybody all the time, so there'll always be somebody who'll be out there to say something to try to do damage to you or pull you down, and God's servants know that particularly. Why? Because the enemy has his eye on them. His mission is to destroy the servants of God, the heralds of the cross, the ambassadors of Jesus. That's his mission. And if it wasn't for praying people like you, if it wasn't for the hosts of God surrounding us and sheltering us and shielding us and the Spirit of God helping us, we would have no power against this enemy, for we are so small and he is so powerful. But again, I say this, he is not all-powerful. Hallelujah. There is one omnipotent God and there is no omnipotent devil. Hallelujah. God even allowed Satan to take the power of the wind and fire and lightning to deal with Job as he was dealt with. But whatever the source, whether men say it was an act of God or maybe the Lord allowed the enemy to do it, we may never know. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it never happens. Something reversal or seeming reversal never happens to the children of God without the Lord allowing it. Hallelujah. Job, Satan said, Lord, you have put a hedge around him. How did he know that God had put a hedge around him? He must have been looking. He must have been investigating. When I read that and saw the words, Thou hast put a hedge around him, I imagined in my mind that I could see the enemy prowling around the hedge, looking for a, an opening. You know, that's what the fox does. And if you leave the chicken door open one night, you can be pretty sure that when the morning comes, Mr. Fox will have found the chickens. Just leave them a night. I make sure they're all closed in every night. That doesn't prevent the possibility that a very hungry fox can burrow in and eat his way in. But friends, when we have a hedge around us in divine context, hallelujah for the hedge of God around our lives. And no enemy can penetrate the hedge unless the Lord allows him. The second question that I want to leave with you is this. What can I gain from what I read about Job? Job never learned to control the lightning or the wind, the Sabians or the Chaldeans, but he eventually saw God's great purpose. And that purpose was that God would be glorified, that Job would be vindicated, and also that Job would be greatly enlarged. His life was better spiritually. In fact, he was greatly enlarged even temporally because he had twice as much at the end of his life after all this than what he had before he went into it. He came through the test, a richer man in spirit. And again, I say what I said last week. God is always working for his glory and for our good 
in our lives. Job had a meeting with God. He had a relationship with God that held him steady when the tempter came. He had established principles that were like anchors to his soul in the storm. He came through victoriously. And praise God if Job could, then thank God we can too. And I'm glad this evening to say that we have benefits that Job didn't have. We have an indwelling Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Word of God. This man had no Bible, and yet he was the man he was 20 centuries before the birth of Jesus. The example of our Savior as our template for life and living, the victories that he had at the, in, the, in the wilderness. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And tonight we have the white spotless lamb, always victorious, always watching over us, a great and wonderful God. Job was manifested to expose the works of Satan. But Jesus Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And there's a lovely hymn that sometimes we sing, we never need be vanquished, we never need give in, though waging war with Satan and compassed round by sin. Temptations will beset us, allurements oft assail, but in the name of Jesus we shall, we must prevail. When the Apostle Paul was in ministry, he was constantly confronted by the forces of darkness and the powers of Satan. But all the time, this man Paul, like Job, maintained his integrity before God. And he said, put on the whole armor of God, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against wicked spirits in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand, to withstand, and to stand in the evil day. And thank God tonight, whilst the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And there are many strongholds. We know that. And bless the Lord tonight, there is no stronghold that our Savior with His people on the conqueror's tread cannot overthrow. He is able to deliver. He is able to save to the uttermost. And I'm glad this evening for the end result of the triumphs of the cross. When we come to the end of the story, as far as our adversary is concerned, not just in the life of Job, but we see an all-conquering Savior take an all-infernal devil and all the hosts of darkness and cast them into the lake of fire, into the bottomless pit, bound up for a thousand years, released for a short time, and then cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. The Lamb conquers. The Moravians were a wonderful missionary movement, and they had a motto, the Lamb has conquered. And tonight we know 
the Lamb has conquered. Job, this wonderful man of God, pitched into a battle between God and Satan, and all the forces of lightning and fire and wind and enemies who took all that he had, who took away his health so that his body was running sores, and even his wife, who said, curse God and die, that Job maintained his integrity. In all this, Job sinned not with his lips. I'm glad tonight for the example that God has given to us in his word, that he sets before us a man, a real man, just like we are human beings. And in Old Testament times, shows us an exhibit that was victorious in the strictest, strongest, most hostile situation in life. We can't particularly, I think, understand the sufferings and the experience of Job and the accusations of his friends that came to be with him, but, and he didn't understand it either. He didn't know what was going on, but I'm glad tonight that when we come to the end of the story, we have a man who has won through victoriously. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his own precious blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me into victory beneath the cleansing flood. And you know, friends, tonight, we need a Savior to protect our minds. Because when I was thinking about it, I think the enemy makes our minds, our imaginations, very much a target of his attack. And our weapons are not carnal, as I've said, spiritual, casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against God. We were never more in need of the shelter of the blood of Jesus. We were never more in need to allow the Spirit of God to bring every thought into captivity to the will of God. My dear friends, watch your thought life. Allow the sanctifying Spirit of God to give you a pure mind, because that's a very biblical thing. And to have a pure mind, Paul Peter says, I'm writing to you to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Lord, I want you to purify my mind. I want you to control my thoughts. Because it's in the thought life that we can either go on the downward track or it's in the thought life that we can move onward in the enriching upward track. Much starts at the level of the imagination. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so we could go on. Whatsoever things are just, true, honest, lovely, and of good report, think on these things. Keep your mind 
May the Lord keep your mind with his sentries. Isn't that another wonderful word? Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, keeping your mind standing sentry duty around our minds. And praise God tonight when we keep our mind on him then we are living on the victory side. The enemy will attack your mind. And we need a mind after the mind of Christ. And Job had a mind to maintain his integrity. He had a mind to stand firm. He had a mind to not sin with his lips. And thank God tonight, over the forces of darkness and Satan, There is victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever and ever. The reality of Satan, the hostility of Satan, but the sovereignty of God. I trust tonight, even though it's been very much shorter this evening, and I think last week we probably went right away on past the time, but tonight you'll not be going past the time. I pray this evening that even though we have shared a little bit more briefly on the reality of an an adversary, a slanderer, an enemy, that we look not at him, respect him, recognize him, but what does the Bible say? Resist him. There's your three R's. Recognize, respect, Resist him, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Submit yourself to the Lord. That's the start point. Submit yourself. Resist. Draw nigh. And here's the secret, right there where James speaks to us from his word. Amen. And may God write the words into our hearts this night. Loving Lord Jesus, we pray that in this brief overview tonight, Lord, we pray that thy name shall be highly exalted and glorified. We pray this evening, dear Father, for each person, for each young person tonight, we pray that their minds will be under the blood of Jesus Christ that their minds will be framed and controlled by the Spirit of God. And we who are older will have minds that are cleansed, purified, kept in check, that every thought will be brought into captivity to the will of God. My Father, I pray that the hedge that was around Job will be the hedge around our lives in that sentry duty ministry of the angels of God, Please, Lord, tonight, keep our minds in perfect love. Keep our minds on a perfect God. Keep our minds enriched in a perfect salvation. And I pray this evening, Lord, protect us from the the traps, the snares, the devices of the evil one. May none fall foul. Lord, thank you tonight for your word. He is able to keep you from falling. Amen. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. Yes, Lord, 
I give myself to thee. And thou, according to thy word, dost give thyself to me to be my shield and hiding place. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.